You're listening to Faro D. Coming at you live. Just which way, what, when, how? Mr. Otto D, flip the track right now. Hey, I'm Otto D. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to listen to some great music and talk to some really cool people. And I know there's a lot of things you could be doing, so I appreciate that you're getting with this. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Shannon Wallace. And I'm Brian Chartrand. Together, we will be your co-hosts tonight, turning the tables on Otto D. Yeah, now he's in the hot seat. We'll be interviewing Otto D right after this song called Like I'm Gonna Lose You. It's a cool tune by Megan Trainer and John Legend. I found myself dreaming in silver and gold Like a scene from a movie that every broken heart knows We were walking on moonlight And you pulled me close Split second and you disappeared And then I was all alone I woke up in tears With you by my side Breath of relief And I realized No
listening to ROD coming at you live. And this is Shannon Wallace and Brian Chartrand. And we're here today co-hosting. And uh, mm-hmm. that was Like I'm Gonna Lose You by Megan Trainer and John Legend here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you by Jet Set Magazine, the world's leading affluent lifestyle publication. So, Brian, this is kind of exciting for a change because we've got Auto D in the hot seat. Yeah, it's time that we get to ask him some questions. He loves asking us questions. He just loves it. You know, I understand this uh, March is coming up on his year anniversary doing this show or an iteration of this show as Auto D. I'm impressed. I am too. So it's about time that his listeners, after a year, get to know Auto D. The man behind the man. The man behind the man. So if, if listeners out there don't know, Otto D is not only one handsome, gorgeous hunk of meat, well, but he is also a singer-songwriter, a, uh, That's one. a producer. That's two. An inge- sound engineer. That's three. Uh, a lover of film. That's four. Uh, of women. F- five. Maybe men, I'm not sure. It's, it's five A. <laughs> and food. Six. Not he has six very intriguing qualities about him. Indeed. <laughs> we haven't even brought him on yet, and he still can't keep his things together. You know, I say we take the next half hour just you yeah, and let's I just to rap. talk about Yeah, we don't need to bring him on. Yeah, He's you so know overrated what? anyway. You know, I know, the whole auto D thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's well, talk about uh, you, Shannon. Let's talk about you, Brian. Okay. I think probably we should probably bring him on. What do you think? <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Otto D. Woo! Nice. Oh, man. Oh, gosh, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. (laughs) For having you on your show. Right? I thought that I'd love to hear this. So, you know what's kind of... This is awesome. We should do this more often. Bring two people in and let them go at it. We'll duke it out over you. What's kind of interesting about this is you and I, Otto, had a conversation maybe right before Christmas. We're talking about shows that are coming up, things that you're doing. And I said, you need to interview, get yourself interviewed on your own show. And I think fast forward, it sounds like at least maybe a month. And Brian said the very same thing to you. Mm. And hence, Brian and I are here together. Mm-hmm. We took this thing over. To you celebrate did. you. <clears throat> you totally did. Well, thank you very much. And it's really wonderful to be here. Sorry, I have nothing to say. So <laughs> we should just move on. No, no. No, no. We're going to jump Cue right the in. music. <laughs> Cue the music. Exactly. Uh, you know, here's what I meant to have queued. Where did it go here? Oh, yes. Here's what I meant to have queued. Oh, never mind. That's how good I am when I'm not talking and I'm just the producer of the computer. Oh, here you go. Oh, oh, there it is. <laughs> My first sound effect. Wow, yeah, that's oh, wow. I'm. A, you we are. We missed it. We totally missed it. Was produce was radio producer on the list because we should definitely oh, add that now. I forgot to say that clapping. See, well, that was a very good moment. It was, it was appropriate. It was so low on my radar. Good. Well, okay. Well, there we are. I ruined that. <laughs> so shall we jump in? Because yeah. one of the questions I, I want the, the listeners to know, plus actually I want to know, okay. of all the things I've known about you for the last six, eight years, mm-hmm. whatever it's been, where are you from? Um, in relationship to where on this planet? Indeed. <laughs> yes. Please. I, I was born uh, in Peoria, Illinois. And and then I lived. I grew up in Peoria, and in fact, I went to the. It's really funny. I went to a little school, a grade school called Mossville, Mossville, Illinois, and uh, grew up in a little town called Dunlap, outside of Peoria. Does that ring a bell here on the west side? It Dunlap does. in Peoria, it does. You know, yeah. area. And then um, I lived there until I was about twenty-two, mm. and then moved to Ohio, 
I lived there for a few years. Moved out here. Moving and shaking. Yeah, you were just crushing the I had the West. Midwest. I <laughs> you had to lock down. I mean, I, I played every bar in Iowa, you know, in <laughs> Illinois, I think, before I moved to Ohio. Well, then, speaking of music, then, let's talk about how musical your family was. How did you get involved in music? Uh, it's a good question. You know, there were I was the third of seven kids. And my grandmother was a first-year violinist in the Rockford Symphony Orchestra. <clears throat> but my mom wasn't necessarily musical, you know, and, and neither was my father. He liked to think that he could listen to music and dance a little once in a while. He was wrong, <laughs> but he gave it his best shot. And um, no, nobody else really played. I mean, everyone played a little. I had a sister who played a little flute, a sister who played cello for a minute. They didn't play very long. And then um, I, I had a brother who was a year younger who I tried to convince to be a guitar player. That way he could split the cost of all the guitars I needed to buy. <clears throat> I, had him, I had him on a string for a few years, but he made the switch to motorcycles like my big brother. So they bought bikes and I bought guitars. Uh-huh. That's, that's similar, actually, to, to, to me because I had an older brother that played guitar. And I had to steal it from him, basically. You know? Right. You know? And that's just how you do it when you're a kid. Yeah. Until you find your own instrument. Well, and you know, you, you go down that line not realizing what you're doing. Like, we would, you, you get a guitar because your buddy got a guitar. I mean, right. I was right. in grade school <clears throat> playing another instrument. When a kid brought an electric guitar into sixth grade show and tell and played Jingle Bells and all the girls went crazy. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I need one Taking of those. <laughs> so my mom never told me. So granted, you know, then my best friend ends up playing guitar a year later. We're in seventh grade. He's got a guitar. Now I'm really jealous. And by eighth grade, he's got a rock band. And he, that summer, he told me I could be in his band. And I said, well, I don't have a guitar. He says, well, get one. So I got a guitar. And uh, well, actually, I got one for Christmas, that Christmas. And then uh, I actually played with him. The first gig I played with him, I didn't know any chords. We had a rehearsal two days before the first little show. And he goes, we're going to play Communication Breakdown by Led Zeppelin. He starts playing it, and I'm watching him. And he's like, I'm pl- playing the note, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And then he goes, it's D-A-D. And he plays the chords. And I'm like, what? Right. He goes, oh, I don't know any chords. And he goes, oh, well, then just play notes. And I'm like, well, what notes? He goes, I don't just play stuff, and if it sounds wrong, don't do it. <clears throat> so I soloed the whole show after I memorized all the different notes I could play on my guitar, and each song didn't sound bad sure i was wrong but that was my first live show and it was in front of 20 girls at an all-girl retreat we were (laughs) three guys in a band we got to spend the whole weekend at this little christian retreat because they didn't want the boys to show up as a band so they made us stay all weekend oh that's a great idea yeah (laughs) that was brilliant (laughs) what do we do these musicians i don't know stick them with the girls for a weekend out in the woods yeah and just that way no one will notice them and then, uh, yeah, we do this show, and uh, what was really funny for me, again, you know, my, this is my little brother, he, he pitched in on everything we bought since, like an amplifier, you know, the next guitar. Right. So here we are doing this show, and I hit a high note, and this is, how, this is the funny thing about rock and roll still, when a guy hits a high note, makes a funny face, everybody throws their underwear on stage, you know? And sure enough, I hit this high note, and all the girls start screaming, and it's like, what? I have all these guys in this little band that can actually play their instruments, but if I hit a really high note, all the girls just scream. I came home after that weekend. <clears throat> I got home late at night, and my brother was in bed, and we all, the th- four brothers all slept in one room. We had, like, bunk beds, you know, big room. And I woke him up. I woke him up, and I shook his hand. I said, I know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. No <laughs> kidding. And here I am, what, 13 years old, 14 years old, going, you know, just play for an all-girl retreat. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is awesome. Your career, <laughs> yeah, your career went from, like, zero to 60 like, in boom. a matter of a weekend. Your That's first right. weekend. I didn't know any chords You should have just hung like up Elvis. the guitar after that. You should have been like, you know what? I don't know if I can get any better The pinnacle of his yeah, career at 13 years maxed out. Well, it might have been, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but now, I understand, though, that the guitar was not your first instrument. That is true. And I did, I did start 
on trumpet. Wow. Because my dad had a bunch of records. He didn't, like I say, it wasn't musical, but, but he loved music to listen to. And he used to listen to Al Hurt and, and Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass, but mostly Al Hurt, who was a, a great trumpet player. <clears throat> and then I was at grade school, and I think it was third grade, and the band teacher came in and posted a thing on the wall and just said, by the right. way, if anybody wants to sign up for band, put your name up here. And I thought, oh, right. you can do that. So I went and signed up, and it's, it also said instrument. And I said, well, I don't know, trumpet. I figured they had a box of them down in the music room or something. So the next day they come in, okay, they take the sign down. You're going to be trumpet. Okay, make sure you have your trumpet here on Monday. And then they walk out. So I went home and told my mom, well, we've got to get a trumpet, Mom. I joined the band. You know, they, I'm supposed to have a trumpet by Monday. So she rented one at a music store, and I started playing trumpet. I still have that. We ended up buying one, and I still have that trumpet. Hmm. The trumpet case was a drum machine case for about 15 years, you right. know, but I still have the trumpet back in the trumpet case. And this, weirdly enough, uh, to take that little story and kind of jump fast forward a ways, one of the first 45s I had was a Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass record called Casino Royale. And I didn't realize what, at that young age, you know, listening to a record 15 million times would do to you. So years go by. I'm in the record business making records. <clears throat> I start working with the singer-songwriter, and we did a bunch of work together. And she starts hearing from friends, oh, that reminds me of Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. And I'm like, are you kidding? That's crazy. So after I hear that remark about three times from her, I go and say, well, let's listen to Tijuana, let's listen to Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass. Let's see. Casino Royale, that's a song I had when I was a kid. Let's play that. We downloaded the tune from iTunes. We played the song, and I thought, oh, my God. Every instinct I have for overlapping instruments and melody and different instruments finishing other instruments, melodic phrases, comes from this song. Oh, wow. I heard so much of what I do in this one song. I was embarrassed. I thought, oh, my God, I have Herb, Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brastia. You know, and I wonder how many people <laughs> I've done that to. So it's, but also the interesting thing is that, that particular project allowed for a bit of comedy. And there's a lot of comedy in these arrangements. And I relate to comedy, I think, as you well know. But I'll, let me play for you a little bit of Casino Royale. No, no, we'll play it for you. Why don't you yeah, play for we're gonna, me? We're, let's cue it, Shannon, cue that. Okay. Cue Stand that. by. Uh, who, wa- who wants to hit the space? Pre- pressing Here play. Here we go, right now. Pressing play.
You know, I have to say that's probably the first time I've ever heard that. Although I, I'm very familiar with Herb Alpert. Uh-huh. And I, I grew up with the record. Christmas the Christmas album. That's what I'm most familiar with, oh, okay. his okay. Christmas album. Yeah, I actually, you know, we used to get the allowance and go off to the record store and buy all the 45s. And I, had, I think I had about seven or eight of his records before I had anybody else's 45s. I just loved that stuff. Now, Great stuff. Can, we, can we transition from that to a particular fascination with John Lennon? Sure. Is, can we? Are those are those even like That's a great relatable? There, right? Absolutely. They're both in music. Yeah, I think there's a connection there. <laughs> I knew I was onto something when I realized they were both musical <laughs> questions. You know. Okay. Great. So yeah, let's talk about. Okay. So this Lennon. was this was wait this Herb Albert thing was before my Beatle phase. Yes. So what this was your thirteen fourteen you said. Yeah, this is way back before that. This is before I had a trumpet. So okay, you're in, like you're in This is second grade, <laughs> third grade. This is way back. That's okay. Stuff, you know. And then at what point does John, John Lennon, Lennon come into the picture? Just mess your whole <clears throat> life up. Well, he ne- he didn't mess my whole life up till a couple of years ago. But um, <laughs> you know, as far as music influences go, yeah. uh, one of the one of the things is I remember being a kid when they had the Beatles on the radio doing some sort of special thing because the band broke up or something. You know, I still mm. wasn't into the Beatles and they broke up in 69, 70 yeah. type of time. <clears throat> they were playing them on the radio all night long and my, bro- my older brother was listening and I remember laying in bed going, I'm never going to be a Beatles fan. <laughs> I just thought, mm. why are they playing this music? So I was probably still, um, gosh, I don't know, in 70, I was 11. I wasn't interested at all. Mm-hmm. And so shortly after that, I think it was 13, when I got my first vinyl album as a gift and it was Ram by Paul McCartney Mm -hmm. and so it was post Beatles when I finally had a Beatle record Mm -hmm. and I really really loved that album and because of that record I started listening to Beatle music Mm -hmm. and then again my little brother you know the one I conned into the guitar you should call him tonight because he obviously had a very big influence on you so I said hey let's take our allowance and go buy the Beatle albums you buy the first album I'll buy the second record and then we went through Again, buying all the Beatle albums before we bought anything else. So we kind of got caught up. Mm-hmm. And so he would be the one. He had Rubber Soul and I had Revolver. And he mm. had, so it was kind of like you, know, you had to trade each other's records. And you really hoped you liked your record better because, you know, your brother wouldn't let you play his record once in a while. Mm-hmm. But so I think I became a really big Beatle fan through all that. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, a lot, like a lot of kids did, a lot of people did. We just, we loved it and loved the movies. I remember my, again, my brother got to stay home from school to watch the Apollo liftoff, you know, Apollo 11 or something, because he was way into astronauts and the moon and all mm. that. And so when it was my turn and the movie you know, Hard Day's Night was going to be on TV one day, I assumed my mom would let me stay home to watch my show. I told her I wanted to, and she's like, no. Well, my brother got to stay home and watch the Apollo launch. It's like, mm. it's not the same thing. Honey. But it was, really. You should, yeah. For you, it was. Yeah, yeah, for you, it was. So it was pretty big, you know. Actually, and then and then that I was really, your Apollo launch. That was my Apollo launch, and so I played in bands. We did cover songs, and I think we sang a lot of Beatles songs. And I just had a similar sounding voice, so it worked well. But there wasn't any necessarily any John Lennon in in you know in those projects. It was just bands that played cover songs. We played you know five nights a week in clubs. So hold on, let me just get this straight. Somebody gifts you a record. Right, this mm-hmm. Paul McCartney record. Right, you kind of like before that didn't want anything to do with the Beatles. You you had already made a decision. You said, "I, I will not like the Beatles." <laughs> you get a Paul McCartney record. It changes your mind. That's right. You buy all their records. Right. I, I mean, how does that even work? I don't. I, I guess I don't understand that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Well, you have you not been influenced like that before in your life? Yeah, I don't know that it made me buy all. It didn't make me buy all the records. It created an interest, 
maybe. So you know? basically, you probably Paul. Probably yeah. like that's why you like the early records. The Paul stuff is more fun yeah. and it's more Paul, you yeah. know, than John necessarily. So maybe but I got into heard the Beatles this. from Paul. But you had heard their yeah, music. Yeah, but I think so you I was knew you didn't like it, and then you got a record, then you decided you did like it. Well, I was it. growing up. I was getting older. Maybe I did okay. want to hold your hand. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we're... Maybe I just wanted like to a, hold your trumpet when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was a bit of growing up, maybe... You know, all right, okay. Now I'm getting it. Now I'm just I'm trying to dig into the soul yeah. of Auto D. No, I think now. that that's probably the way it went. But going on, I really became a bigger George Harrison fan. I have all of George's records. Yeah. I don't have all of John's records. I don't have hardly any of Paul's records. Right. I mean, after the Beatles, after the fact. Right. You know, I was a big George Harrison fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want I want to be able to incorporate that though for our, for our listeners out there though who are familiar with your material, Auto D. Right. Material. There's such a heavy influence of the Beatles and ma- mainly John yeah. Lennon. Licks, Beatles licks. Uh, your sound is similar mm-hmm. in, some, in some senses. Yeah, I spent too many years just listening to Beatles records. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. and I, and the, the, so the influences, all the musical instincts are kind of responsive to those, you know, those mm-hmm. uh, years just listening to the Beatles. But I had someone describe my first album once. Everyone would say, oh, it sounds like John Lennon. And it's like, no, no, no. One gentleman said, no, it sounds like John Lennon trying to sing like George Harrison. And I thought, now that sounds more accurate because my Mm. melodies are probably more Harrison's style and influenced with the way he would phrase and bend things and and write things. But yet my voice sounds more like John's than George's, so I do sound like John. Yeah. Now we could go one way or the other in this interview. Are we coming to a crossroads? Well, kind of, yeah, because we could either move forward and kind of talk about his... Uh, performances. Would you like me to leave the room while yeah, you guys you? discuss yes. where we're going to go next? Because Brian, I'm looking right at Brian now. <laughs> we have some but things that we need to work out. We do, but I, w- I would like to jump backwards before pre-John Lennon, pre-Beatles, okay. and talk about Green-Eyed Lady. Oh, okay. Which, oh, right, interesting. That dates back <clears throat> prior to the Beatles, does it not, in terms for you? Oh, it's it's probably, no, it's probably more right in the middle of it all, because okay. it would have been, it would have been, probably I was about 17. That, that song, for me, I know I had mentioned that song, um, is, was really a catalyst for my interest in recording. Hmm. I had purchased a four-track reel-to-reel recorder because here I am a guitar player and I need to be able to, I'm going to start playing around with recording. It's a big deal, you know. And the first thing I recorded was the radio. I got to plug it in, make sure it's working, hit record. And I remember recording a couple songs. And I think maybe for me at that point, listening to the radio was a really passive experience because it's just going by. So you're hearing it, but you're not really digging in because it goes by. And maybe with your records, you might spend a little more time. But for some reason, recording it made me listen closer. I started rewinding and I could actually just listen to spots and compare them song to song to song really quick instead of changing records. And I was fascinated that Green Eyed Lady, I could hear the kick drum squeak and all the instruments sounded really, really clear. And on this other song, it was just a mash of sound. Not that one is right, you know, or better than the other, artistically speaking, but certainly at that point in my life, that recording sounded so incredibly interesting to me that I wanted to know why one sounded like that and one sounded like the other. And that's really what got me engaged in recording. And then I started listening to local records that I thought sounded like crap compared to records I'd buy in the store, and I wanted to know why. They're both records. Where's, what's the link <clears throat> that's making one be bad and one be good? Mm-hmm. And so then I ended up going to recording school and found out, oh, it's the guy running the gear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So that's fascinating you know? to me that the Green Eyed Ladies by Sugarloaf, by right. the way. Yeah. Uh, which I think we should give our listeners a little taste of that. But that really started this 
an interest. Yeah, it was kind of like yeah. I didn't have an interest in sound sonically before hearing that record compared to other records. That's kind of when it kind of woke up for me. Hmm. It became an interesting thing to play with where before it was just guitar and words, you know. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it was like the sound of something kind of became, I became aware of that in this track. And maybe in relation <coughs> to all those Beatles records because they had a very distinct way of producing yeah. sound, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, you you were used to maybe one thing and this was... Out of left field. It was a little bit. And it was really, and it was really, really clean and clear. And what's really weird is uh, they've re-recorded it. They, there's been a release that mm. came out in '05, uh, I think it was, with a bunch of these hits from back in the day. But they re-recorded them all. Mm-hmm. They're new performances. Oh, and they're really? Nearly well, they're not even just remastered. They actually went re-recorded, in re-recorded, and they were probably done over the years. So they may have picked people who had already done it. A lot of bands started doing this when when iTunes came out, and right. the labels weren't going to reissue their records digitally. So they re-recorded them, and right. then they owned the master, and then they sold them. Right. You know, because there was a demand in the marketplace. So I, the new one is even cleaner and clearer, but I didn't want to grab that. I, I, did, I do have the old one, though, that I can well, actually play. Well, Brian, why don't you play Green-Eyed Lady by Sugar Yeah, Hill. hold on. Let me just pull it up on my laptop real quick. But I, I, I can get, okay, here it is. I Live. 
And sitting in for Auto D is Shannon Wallace. And Brian Chartrand. And our guest today is Auto D. Stuck in the hot seat. So that was Green Eyed Lady <laughs> by Sugarloaf. Yeah, it's a fun, fun record. Sugar loaf. One word. It's a loaf of sugar is what it is. Yeah, it's like sweet bread. Yeah, I got you. But <laughs> but sugary? I don't know. I have no idea. Sugar. It was the 60s. It's really yeah, Brian, who's to 70s, say what they were smoking when they were... I think they were smoking the sugar loaf is what <laughs> they were smoking. <laughs> Probably. So, working class hero. <laughs> working class hero. So we're talking about Lennon before. Yeah, well, that gets back to John Lennon because really, you know... I have to say for years, even though I wasn't playing out, I quit playing out when I kind of got into recording. So from like 1982 on, I didn't play anymore as far as shows. And before that, I was playing in bar bands. And so I would do records with people, and often people would bring to me books with John Lennon on the cover or magazines Uh and say, look what I found in the store. It looks just like you. And they would bring it to me. And I'm like, are you crazy? It's like, okay, thank you. Well, I'm I'm glad that you say that because my question was, at what point in your life did you realize that you looked and sound well, I like, looked a little like him. You knew this just forever. Well, just kind of people would point that out. Yeah, I mean, I knew that. For, from when? I, I mean, I've seen, I, I think I've seen know, a picture man. of you as a kid I don't think with that afro yeah. and floating around on Facebook. I've seen that picture. That does not look like you. No, Jeremiah. I don't think I really thought, I don't think I ever really thought it until I put the wig on a couple of years ago and did the first Lennon impersonation Really? Show. Yeah, and to me, to me, I didn't think we looked alike. Um, People would say it to me, and I was like, yeah, 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 I know, I got a nose, and he's got a nose, although mine, it's really very different, mine's bigger, it's got dents in it, his is real straight, <laughs> you know, but um, that was about it, I, although when you start looking, it's like, the lips are similar, some other things are similar, but it's not that, it's not that much to me, uh-huh. <clears throat> but then when um, I remember, I was approached by Gordy Deems, who was doing these shows for casinos, and Gordy said to me, you know, why aren't you doing an Atlanta show? You look just like him. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. And I gave him a copy of my latest record, and I said, you think I look like him? You should listen to this. I sound more like him than that. <clears throat> and he listened to it. He says, you do sound like him. Why aren't you doing a tribute show? And I'm like, no, oh, man, I had a band together when I was a kid. That's way too much work. But he goes, that's what I do. And so we put this whole show together. And so I, I went to a place, and I had wigs fitted, and I ordered the John Lennon jacket online that all the impersonators use, you know, right, all this stuff. Right. And I put it all on. I took a picture of myself, and I was like, oh, holy cow. I looked at that picture, and I thought, gosh, I look just like the guy. And I thought, you know what? I sound enough like him. Maybe I could really do this. So I, we did it. You know, we, he put the show together, and we went around. We played the casinos. And, and the thing for me is, I mean, I like John's music. It's great. Um, I, I don't, wouldn't want to be in a Beatle tribute band playing all that old stuff. I loved it when I was a kid. I can't stand to listen to that stuff now. Huh. But um, I, I loved it when I was a kid. And so I still like John's stuff. And we never took the Lennon show back before, like, uh, Ticket to Ride. You know, we didn't go mm-hmm. back very far and no black suits type stuff. And mostly the very last years in the Beatles and all post-Beatles songs, <clears throat> which I really, really liked his stuff a lot better than anyway. But um, it's kind of like the thing that got me about the shows is after the shows, people would freak out. I would, I would sign autographs in a line for 60 minutes after a 90-minute show. And these big old bears would just come up and hug me and say, you know, oh, man, thanks so much for keeping the torch lit, you know. And it, it meant so much to them to hear this music because John never went on tour. He was about to go on tour in 1980, right. seriously, for the first time with the release of Double Fantasy. So the big fans of John's never got to, to see him, and that would have been an incredible hmm. tour for a lot of people. And it never happened. Do you happen to know when the last tour he did was? Was that 69? He, he never did a solo tour. The last tour that he did was, was with the Beatles tour. in 66, 67. What? 66, actually. That yeah, was the last time they toured. Oh, that's incredible. And so they played, <clears throat> he played a few shows. He, he and the Plastic Ono Band went to Toronto and played, and they recorded, made a live album. Wow. He wrote a song with Elton John called Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And Elton said, if it goes to number one, then you have to come on stage with me when we go through New York. And it went to number one. 
so he came out on stage and, and they did that, you wow. know, uh, at Madison Square Garden. But um, and he did a concert at Madison Square Garden. He did a few other little shows, but yeah. he never went on tour. But wow. with the release of Double Fantasy, a tour was actually in the works. Yeah. So it was a fir- would have been the first time. That's incredible. You know, Harrison toured a lot, and, and yeah. Paul toured a lot. But. Yeah. So as a sidebar, you are very popular on Facebook as we speak. I am. Yeah, so I'd like to let the listeners know that they can call in. We'll try, hopefully get to their calls. But uh, the number is 602-494-5699. So feel free to call in, and we'll do our best to get and to you. If you're it. listening to this as a podcast next week, don't call in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll geez. call in. Just, just yeah. don't feel bad when we don't yeah. <laughs> If the wrong show answers. We only take uh, calls for the live show. That's so. right. That's right. Anyway, so, so this... Uh, Working class hero has kind of then morphed into, or, you know, you set that aside a little bit. You're mm-hmm. s- kind of still doing that. But then all of a sudden, Auto D yeah. emerges. Yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, been recording, writing and recording songs. I've done three albums and, and without ever being in a band and out playing anymore. And I, I was doing a recording session at my studio. And uh, my session drummer, we were all done. And we were getting all wrapped up. And uh, he says to me, we should do an Auto D show. And I'm like, he's probably just looking for more work. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, do I know this drummer? Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, and uh, Mr. C says, uh, he says, you know, we should do. And I'm like, well, gosh, you know, I'm thinking, I, I, I play bass, but I don't know how any of my songs go because I write and record them and I never play them again because I'm right. not in a band. I have to learn all my own songs. But I'd been learning a lot of them on guitar because doing the John Lennon show, uh, doing television interviews, they wouldn't let me play the Lennon stuff because of the licensing. So they'd ask me to play something of mine. So I actually had been learning a bunch of my own songs to play for these silly things. And um, so I thought, well, I, I could play guitar in, in the show, I suppose, because I already know half the tunes, so I, we'd need a bass player. And sure enough, as soon as I say that, out comes the bass player from the sessions. I'll play. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You guys will both do a show with me playing my music? And they're like, yeah. And I thought, wow, that's a good idea. I've never done that before. So I called a club. and said, hey, can I have a date? I want to I open for somebody. And they're like, great, we'll give you a call back. They call me back. Nah, we don't have anybody you could open for. But you can have your own date, like on a Wednesday. I was like... Oh, I thought I had a ready-made audience. I was going to put a band in there for a minute. So we did posters, put a whole band together, yourself included, in that first show. Yes, I enjoyed that. Back in December. I've seen video. It looked like a splendid evening. You know, it was a blast. And what's really cool is I actually had an amazing band full of people I've never played with. Right. Uh, People, some of them I've known well. Some I've met, like Priscilla, who played violin. I just met right before the show, and she's an incredible player. Um, Catherine, you know, everybody, Rachel, Jeff, Todd. So it was a great, great band. Yeah. Great fun. Really, really cool show. And uh, Serene Dominic, local writer, did a little interview with me. And one of the first questions he asked me was like, you know, why haven't you ever done a show before? And I, and I said, it never crossed my mind. And that's such a strange answer. But the truth is, I was making records and just happy to make them and go on about making other people's records because I wasn't in a band. So that it didn't ever cross my mind. But then once we did the show, I'm like... Why aren't we doing this? This is a blast. And yeah. I have all these songs. So now we have another show scheduled coming up on February 24th yes. at the same venue. Mm-hmm. Another Which, Wednesday what venue, night. What venue? It's the last exit live in Phoenix. Downtown Phoenix, baby. Represent. And what time? And that is going to be Doors at 7.30, opener at 8.30, and we'll be on at 9.30. The opening act is a killing young singer in town by the name of Blaine Long, Blues Cat. Very, very cool. Nice. You'll love him. By the way, I see the phone light is flashing like crazy, but you know, if we pick it up, it's like, what are you going to do? Hey, let's just answer it while we're on the air. Let's do it. I think Can we, we do should. that? And then, uh, hold on, I have to do some. I have to work who this wants, out. Who wants to pretend that they're the person? No, no, Brian. Brian, you need to answer the phone. Oh, hold on, let me walk over to the to the phone here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here it is. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's what we'll do. We'll just do this, and then uh, you just do whatever we need to do. If we I do mean, this, I'll we'll just do be live, and you say hello. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, whoever you are, you're Hello, caller. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome to the Auto D Show. How can we help? <laughs> Hi, this is Robert. I'm here in Scottsdale. Hi, Robert. Welcome. Good to hear from you. Hey, Robert, Thanks. I got to tell you, this isn't a really fancy show where we get to screen the call first. You're live. <laughs> so, as I said, Robert, be nice. <laughs> so, what's you up? Know, like the porch dog in Mississippi. I'm, I'm good. I got it. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Which is a beautiful analogy. Yeah, because they're so easy going. Everybody just walks up and he just sits there and smiles. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So, I don't, my question for you is actually, uh, this is my first time on your show, so it's actually poignant that this is where you're being interviewed and vice versa. This is so it's perfect for me. <clears throat> if you were here, um, you would have no idea how weird this feels. It's like, gosh, I just want to run out of the room and hide. I like asking the questions. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's good to expand as a human being, brother, so good for you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so my question is relative to your career. Um, mine in the creative field was not a plan. It was something that I sort of fell into, and I love it. But I'm very clear about what keeps me here, right. what my, my muse of my soul is. What is that for you? What keeps you in the industry? What is your spark that keeps you going? You know what? I, the, the short answer would be beauty. And I can tell you that by the same token, it takes me out of the industry. My my interest and focus seems to be jumping around so much. I'm way into shooting a video and editing. I love doing it. That's like my spare time thing. It's all I do. I've developed television series and sizzle reels, and I love that stuff. Making records I can do in my sleep. So the concept and process of making a record is completely uninteresting to me unless all of a sudden the talent is incredible or the song is wonderful. And then that the essence of that thing becomes something I really want to mold and, and bring to life. So I can see that that it's really, if the thing that I imagine that I can kind of sense is there is something I really want to see fulfilled, I get I get excited about it. It's not whether it's audio or video or, or on the line of my career path, which seems to be, you know, randomly changing. Does that so make any sense? basically, as long as you're creative, you're alive. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I and when you get into the same old thing, and you, you absolutely do, you can become dead very easy, making great pieces of average art you know for people who are really impressed with you and there's just no point in that you know there's no point in that that totally makes sense to me yeah i would i would i would sense that that resonates with you robert does it not well especially because i'm a filmmaker um i I fell into it not not by plan i mean very briefly i I thought i was going to be a fighter pilot like your old dad and Uh you know a, a camera ended up changing my life of course I think a few women kind of helped along the way. Yeah, they have but that impact. What I've noticed is that I fell in love with music as a child. Mother was a classical pianist. Right. The first record that I wanted, and the only reason I wanted it was because the label drove me nuts. I thought it was beautiful, and I begged and begged and begged and begged to have it. Well, it ended up being Magic Carpet Ride. Oh, I love you know, that record. Back in the 60s. Great so between record. that and Song of the South, I played them endlessly and fell in love with music. And so later in life, I come to find out that music obviously ties directly into filmmaking. And so I have the best of both worlds. I have audio visual in my head. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, being a fighter pilot would have been a blast. But I know my life wouldn't have been the same if I'd taken that path. And so I hear I, that's why I was curious about what your spark is. Because if I get away from being creative too long, Yep. I feel like I'm dying slowly. Yeah, and it's easy when you get good at something to, to uh, sit there. And, and you're right, you start to feel that. And I think that's why I've been making records for 30 years, but I seem to be more excited when, when it's somebody wants to do something I've never done. It seems like, oh, really? 
I don't know how to do that. Can I? Can I help? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it's more exciting. You know. Robert, thank thanks you for so answering the question. Yeah, man. Thanks for calling. Thanks so much for calling, Robert. Good to hear from you. Okay, that was cool. So you know, Robert was just mentioning <laughs> that's like that. Our first no, that's great. <laughs> Robert was mentioning that he's into film, and uh, lo and behold, Auto D has an affinity for film. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, you know, it's it's it is something that I think uh, again, a lot of people want. They decide they want it, and they decide they want to work at it, and they study at it, and they try hard. Um, I have a sense that I'll shoot something and I'll edit it and then when I'm done uh, the editing is no effort it's fun it's simple and people have I've gotten a lot of feedback actually from directors who have asked asked me who edited the pieces that I've done and I'm like I did that and they, they can't believe that I've, I'm the guy who edited because I haven't had any training and I just did it but uh, something I've learned from some other directors as well is that it seems musicians tend to make good editors because editing mm -hmm. really is a sense of rhythm and timing mm -hmm. and visual people don't think in terms of that. They're just looking at the correctness of the frames and the, and the shots. They're not thinking of the energy flow of the, of the scene as it's edited. And musicians are so much more energy aware in terms of rhythm and groove that as soon as this, something's on the screen for a split second too long, it just has to stop and go somewhere. And that is a is a really nice uh, you know advantage to a music for a musician in the editing field you apparently. Know, you know. I never thought of that. I was in <coughs> television news uh, for about twelve thirteen years in that industry, and I of many things I did in television news. I was an editor. Mm -hmm. I was a news editor. Yeah, and they loved your work, and you were like, I just, you just it didn't take any. Yeah, it didn't take for any you. effort. I yeah, loved it. Me too. I, I love editing. There's it's I can edit all day long. And it doesn't bother me. I don't people bitch and bitch and bitch about editing. I don't get that. I love editing. It's a lot of fun. And speaking of editing your songs, there is one that I love, and I would love for you to play if you could. One of my songs. One of your songs. I think your audience needs to hear one of your songs if they haven't already bought uh, your CDs on iTunes or uh, on your website. And uh, maybe you could give a little background on this song, Handcuffs and Coffee. Handcuffs and Coffee. That hmm. is on an uh, EP called All Right Already, which is because everyone said, when are you going to do another record? And I got tired of hearing it, so I said, All Right Already. And I took these five songs and put out an EP. Handcuffs and Coffee is probably a... Uh, it's a, interesting that you like that one. That song means absolutely nothing to me <laughs> in terms of the lyric. I don't know what it means. I did have a guy come up to me and say, man, I know exactly what you mean by that song. Um, I, this, is a, this was a kind of a little bit of an experimental phase for me. I was making tunes by just using loops and using my mouse and creating weird little things. And then I would just make up melodies and lyrics, okay? So I had this music basically cut. And I'm sitting there with no lyrics and no melody with this background music bed. And I'm just playing it in the control room, listening, and I'm just waiting for something to come to me. Mm -hmm. And handcuffs, coffee, is, came out of my mouth. And I'm like, holy cow. What the heck does that mean? And that sure sounded cool right there. So I thought, okay, that's what I'm. That's not going to change, and everything else is right. going to be built around built that. around that. Yep. So after I got through a verse or two, I thought I can't come up with more for the chorus. So going into the chorus, I just said I put in the line and another thing entirely, and I just totally switched the chorus to something else. <laughs> you know, I can fly, and it's just completely different because I didn't. It didn't mean anything to me. It was just right. an exercise in coming up with some clever little things. So in the verse, I did try to figure out how handcuffs and coffee go together. And that whole first verse are ways you could argue they go together. Can we, can we hear it? We can hear it. If, if you'd like to play it for me, Brian. Yeah, hold on. Stand by. I just got to cue it up here real quick. Thanks for your patience. Right, so here's a little uh, handcuffs and coffee off of All Right Already. I 
Nothing better than driving in your car and blasting this song. <laughs> and I tell you, for, for the for the listeners out there, I'm I'm a jazz musician. I'm a jazz vocalist, and I listen to jazz all the time. And when when Otto gave me this EP and I popped it in my car, I thought, "What the hell is this? This is awesome! <laughs> oh my god, this is incredible!" I go to the gym and I listen to this. I, this is my ultimate favorite song, and what's interesting about it, I'm not a big fan of the Beatles, right? but it's got undertones of the Beatles, and I can hear it. Yeah, there's, you know, I can't get away from that, but I can tell you a funny story about that is I, did a, I produced a country record for a gentleman by the name of J.D. Norris, who's out of Tucson, Arizona, and it was a great little record. He pitched it to uh, some people to get some reviews out of Nashville before the record came out, and the first guy wrote him back and said, how'd you get the Beatles to sing background on your record? Uh. <laughs> Because I had done all these background parts, you know, and it was pretty pretty funny. But I also actually sang a bunch of Beatle recordings for another producer in town who was making a product for Line 6 where they were re-recording classic recordings. Uh-huh. And it was a guitar player tool where you could solo the guitar and learn the guitar part and then turn it off and play along with the recording. Mm-hmm. And uh, they couldn't afford to license all the recordings from all these record companies, so they were hiring people with very little amounts of money, you know, per song to re-record them from scratch, these masters. And so uh, someone told them, hey, if, you know, have Otto cut the Beatle vocal bits. So he would send them over to me, and I would cut all the Beatle vocal parts and send it back. So that was kind of fun. 
Very fun. That was just before the whole John Lennon thing started. Now, in terms of you, Otto. Yes. You've done so much, and you have so many influences in your life throughout throughout time. I Brian's laughing. You've done so you've much. Done so I was much. expecting you to say, you've done so much with so little. <laughs> so With what? no talent at all. It's been amazing. My question to you is, what is your pie in the sky? Where do you see yourself in five years from now? Oh, I don't. I, I probably don't see myself in five years. But wait, um, are we just we just spent Otto and I just spent some time together, and there was one place that you would not stop talking about. Well, that could not might not be five years, but it certainly my focus changes very fast, and I have my eyes on 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 Something. some a future that involves uh, uh, more film and, and audio for film, and a potential opportunity in Malibu, and I've been looking at rooms and. Uh, pricing, you know, forty two hundred bucks for a single bedroom—that's not bad you know, <laughs> no. if you have a job. <laughs> but uh, so no, we were we were uh, actually Brian and I were running to each other at Nam. Yes. Mm. Oh wow, that was lovely. And, was, uh, and un- completely unplanned. Very strange. <laughs> how you ended up sharing the same hotel room that I did? I mean, <laughs> how did that happen? How did they know? But truthfully, we did drive back in the same car, and that wasn't part of the plan. So there. That's, it, no, the plan was evolving as we. It was, but at any rate, so is so is this opportunity. It, this is something that uh, <clears throat> that I had no idea before Friday that I had an interest in being in Malibu, and then I heard some kids talking about a job <laughs> at lunch with five thousand people all smashed together in this place, you know, at Nam, and I was like, oh, they think they're going to get over and get that job, are they? <laughs> Let me give them a call. This is this is how you know the auto. The, so, and I told you this. So I called and I so I I sent him a note and said, hey, I hear you might have a position open for blah 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 blah. You know, I'd love to talk to you. And so I sent him my resume and everything. Okay, he kind of skimmed over some interesting parts of this whole conversation. <laughs> Do tell. We're at Nam. It's Friday, having lunch about two p.m. outside of the convention center. Right. And the place is just a zoo. It is. People. Everywhere. We waited 40 minutes in line at a sub shop for to get a sandwich. To get a that sandwich. was the short line. That's why we ate yeah. subs. We're like, there was four or five options. We're like, whatever the shortest line is, it's a, we're going to eat submarina. it. Submarina. So we go get a sub and, and um, we sit down outside and it's just a zoo. And there's and I overhear these girls talking about, if I see my ex-boyfriend at the convention, oh my God, I'm going to break out. <laughs> and then I tune out and I eat my sub, you know. But this is how I know that, and I told you this on the ride home. I was like, man... I didn't give you enough credit for this because your ears are always open. You're always receptive. You're always listening. You're, you're, you never power down for a minute and just enjoy a sandwich outside. This guy is always thinking about something else that he can do or network. or And it's really, it's really an impressive bit. So he over – and after I tune out and I meet my sandwich, Otto's like basically like – eavesdropping on this woman's con- this girl's conversation to her friend about the studio in Malibu. Well, so he I makes was he makes a mental note <laughs> could, and like couldn't ask her like, to shut up. Though, could yeah. I? <laughs> shut up! I'm trying to. I mean, I'm impressed, man. I'm impressed. You know, the thing with Otto, I find out uh, every every week. If I don't call him every week and check in with him, his life is completely changed. Yeah, you're gonna miss something. I, and so I just got back from New York. Do you know I where was I there live? Seven years. Seven I think years. I moved since seven last days. Time I saw you. <laughs> No, you have moved since the last time I saw you. 
But I was gone seven days, and then all of a sudden I hear about Malibu. Yeah. This man's life changes every 30 On seconds. A dime. It's amazing. On well, a you dime. know, what are you going to do? So in the yeah, meantime, I think that's what we were just talking about with, um, with Robert. Robert. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like if, if um, let's say that this opportunity were to come to fruition and I found myself in Malibu, it doesn't mean the next 30 seconds, the next 30 days it would change. It might be all of a sudden there's the thing where there's so much to dive into and play with right. that all of a sudden, boom, you're there. And I think that's the same thing when I opened the studio 15 years ago. It was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This place is so incredible. And then 15 years later, you're like, I got to get the hell out of this <laughs> room. <clears throat> you know, if Everyone I know in my whole life I met in this room, and that's not enough people, you know, so you have to get out. But I'd like to know, before you head to Malibu, are you for hire while you're still here? Oh, yes. In fact, I'm working with a band who's coming into town on Friday. We're doing a little recording for three days on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But I do have a little studio in my house. I work at other studios in town, so I work as a producer and as an engineer. And playing around town as a band. Like you said, we got the date on February 24th. We've got mm-hmm. a date in April coming up. We've got a potential date in May we're talking about today. It's pretty exciting. Things are happening. So, yeah, you know, playing out's a blast. Love playing music. It's so much fun. And... Um, I also realized that growing up, I always thought I was going to be a comedian, right? And so every time, like Brian and I are driving back from California, and every time he comes up, hey, here's an idea, here's how we could do this. And I would turn around and give him, yeah, like this, and I would give him the comic version, and then he would be, he was, everything he t- did, I turned into a joke. And I, I wasn't trying to say it was a joke. I'm, that was more interesting to me, the funny version of, it, of the ideas, you know? So he's like, you just need to write a comedy show. <laughs> yeah. and I'm Have like, you ever done stand-up? Well, no, but I, I wrote a screenplay, and there's a lot of comedy in the screenplay, uh, although it's not—it's a romantic comedy. It's not so it's not completely off the hook, funny, funny, but it is—it's a romantic comedy. But I was—I kept interjecting into it, our stage show. Kids call it rom-com. Okay, rom-com. No. Rom-com. 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 Romantic comedy. Oh well, see that proves I'm not a child. It's a ra- <laughs> listen. Time is short. Abbreviate. Okay, rom-com. 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 <laughs> All right, great. Well, listen, we're running out of wait, time. Wait, no, wait. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but I had to just interject. Thanks. I appreciate that, Brian. Screenplay. It's going to be fantastic. Keep me, keep me sounding young. <laughs> so are you sending this screenplay somewhere? Sending you mean it like to a, me. So what do you mean by sending it is somewhere? Is somebody going to read this? Actually, yeah. I, I actually had someone read it who is a, a friend who's a film director and owns a film production company. And after she gave me a 30-minute rundown of what was wrong with the first page, I said, okay, well, I tell you what. <clears throat> I get it. I need to rewrite it with these things in mind. Because they're just, you know, it's kind of like you write a song and you don't get to the chorus till 45 seconds, so they never get to the chorus before they shut it off. Because right. you didn't know you had to get to the chorus before that. If you're pitching something, maybe not in the end we can make a song where the chorus doesn't show up till then, but not on the pitch, you know. And so I was using things, just vernacular and and, uh, point of view, that's not the way it's done. And just lots of different little things, things that they recognize when they read scripts all day long that you you don't recognize because you don't read them all day long yet. So I just had to rewrite it with some new perspectives of what that inf- how that information is being conveyed and what they do and don't want to hear from the screenwriter in relationship to the screenplay. None of it related to story cattle, to the story, the dialogue, or the characters at all. None of the, none of the feedback. Just layout. Just the technical aspect yeah. of how I presented it on the page. Yeah. Well, I tell you. And I used a software program, so it's not like it wasn't laid out physically oh, right. interesting. It, it simply was that you don't put the word red in that sentence. We don't want to know that it's red. That's up to the director. Uh-huh. You give me this and they'll know it's going to be red they'll know it's going to be red don't you dare tell them what to do huh. <clears throat> and here i was describing exactly what i wanted to see and, and so well, can't you no. just be the director 
Yeah, but you can't say, here's my movie, I'm going to direct it, and I'm going to act it, and I'm going to write it, and you, I'm, you, you know, just give me the money. Like yeah. Christopher Walken. <laughs> no, <person>. no. <laughs> You're the one who wanted to write a screenplay. No, but you can't, I mean, you can, you know, Sylvester Stallone went in with a script and said, but only, I won't let right. you make it unless I'm the star. You know, and he got turned down a lot. If you want to fight that battle, I look at it more like, I wrote a screenplay, and if you'll do it, that'd be great because I get paid, and I right. can go write another one, and we can see how that turned out. I don't think it's the end of the world that that movie. It's just it was just wonderful to write. I yeah. loved doing it. Cool exercise. Oh, fantastic! And to actually finish it, so that because it forces you to finish the story and get right. get the thing done. And and I've got some other people I'm going to present it to, but um, I realize in in the rewrite I, that I may want to save all of that energy for the next screenplay. I suppose mm-hmm. I know that this story is worth all the time it would take to then represent it. Mm-hmm. I decided so interesting so many irons in the fire i was Otto. just gonna say that so brian would it be fair to say that he's got all these irons in the fire you are you're a multifaceted individual with a with a creator's soul well, let's talk about radio and the passion of isn't this fun this is great can this we keep going blast. what time is it yeah we could let's just go for four hours but to me <clears throat> getting people like you guys in here and Having an opportunity to push you around and check out your life and ask you stuff and find out what makes you tick, just like Robert's question, which was great and how it related to his career and kind of where he's at. I love doing that with people. And that was such a surprise. When I started this almost a year ago, I really didn't know that it was going to be this much fun. I was looking at, well, I'll do this for a minute while I figure out what I'm going to do. You know, it'll be mm-hmm. kind of maybe it'll be worth doing. But it has been a blast. And it's, it's just been a gas for me to do this. Well, you're planning on continuing at least for a little while longer. No? Well, I got a guest on Monday, so I suppose I have to show up then. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm going to call in. Actually, I have guests all through February all lined up already. So, Great. So we're doing, we're doing good. Great. Great. Great record. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, uh, thanks for coming in and being uh, no, no. my Otto. Can I sign off? Hold Thank on. you so much for coming I in. T- I got to take control back. You know? no, no, no. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Not all yet. Right. Now, we appreciate you coming in. Well, thanks for having me. Me. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's been to be a, here. a pleasure, don't you think, Brian? I, Shannon, I, do I get a coffee cup? We or might. Let's no coffee mug. No, with no the coffee show mug. logo. Let's bring Otto back to our show sometime soon. You know, I think that would be nice. Maybe we could follow up with him after this Malibu. We'll touch base with you, Otto. Actually, I can do a phone in from Malibu too. You know, if I'm out of town, that'd be fine. That'd you know. be okay. We'll see if we can fit you in. Oh, oh, perfect, perfect. Well, we'll just have to stay in touch. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys. Thank you, darling. Thank you. And that was fun. And. Informing. It was an informing experience. I feel like I know you. This is one show I probably won't listen to in the morning. (laughs) But it will be available on autod.com tomorrow morning. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you.